Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to ALRPRA Incorporated's Law Practice Management Radio. ALRPRA Incorporated is a national law practice management agency with offices in DuPage, Illinois, and Orange County, California. We are a company run by lawyers for lawyers who want the tips, tools, and services to help them spend more time practicing law and less time worrying about the business. We specialize in in-house and subcontracted law practice management services through our two main divisions, pleading drafter for production work and law publicist for promotional work. Our operations serve the greater suburban regions in and around Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C. Our production division, called Pleading Drafter, focuses on attorney staff placement, file management, audits, and our eBay store, through which law firms sell gently used office equipment. Our promotional division, called Law Publicist, focuses on law firm marketing, branding, and image consulting, as well as traditional public relations functions. Our monthly communication services from Law Publicist include content copywriting for our law firm's clients' blogs, newsletters, and social media administration. Additionally, the Law Publicist On Point is the ALRPRA monthly publication featuring law practice management articles and resources. We are always looking for great content and advertisers for our Illinois and California editions of the On Point. Today is Thursday, February 18th, and I am your host, Nick Augustine. Today's guest is credit damages expert Jim Ryder. He is here to talk today about credit damage issues and how attorneys can best leverage credit damage expert analysis. Before we begin, we appreciate the opportunity to remind you that we broadcast every Thursday afternoon at 3 p.m. Central, which is also 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. We have a great show for you this afternoon, and we'll open up for callers 30 minutes after we begin. Please be sure to email your questions as well to info at ALRPRA.com, which is, again, I-N-F-O at A-L-R-P-R-A dot com, or please call in by dialing area code 917-889-9732 and press option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. The telephone number again is area code 917-889-9732 and please press option 1. By way of biographical information to introduce today's guest, Jim Ryder has been has had 25 years experience in the lending industry. Jim worked for many years as an underwriter and has been held has has held executive positions in savings banks and in mortgage mortgage banking companies. During the past 15 years working as a mortgage and real estate broker, Jim has operated as a consultant on credit worthiness issues and he analyzes credit reports on a daily basis. Today, how are you doing, Jim? I'm doing great, and it's uh, wonderful to be with you. All right. Well, Jim, we're going to start today uh, with the first of seven parts of our uh, credit damage uh, series. So I think that today a good thing to do is just have a conversation and discuss some of the credit damage issues that face attorneys and their clients so that our listeners, uh, who are largely attorneys, are, are better able to understand when they do have a credit damage issue problem and when credit damage uh, can be repaired, how we would go about doing that, who you would contact, and what the process is. So, Jim, if I may, I would just like to just start out with some some simple questions and to get going. Just tell me who. Who can benefit from credit damage analysis? 
the people that benefit are those that had good credit reports, were actively using credit for their benefit, and then through some act, not their own fault, so we don't look at self-inflicted credit damage, but an event occurred, um, can be wrongful employment termination cases, can be personal injury cases, the list goes on and on and on, but through that process, we're unable to maintain paying the bills, mortgages that they had. Um, they've ended up um, harming their credit, and um, we are looking at that damage and how it will affect them and helping to come up with a fair amount of compensation for that damage being done to them. Now, when you talk about the compensation, it sounds like we're often getting into um, into litigation. How can attorneys best leverage uh, credit damage analysis and reports um, in, in helping their clients? Well, we talk to attorneys daily, and this is we understand is fairly new to them. Um, if I can give a real quick example that we use often is there's personal injury cases. It's tried. It's very successfully handled. There's money to pay all the medical bills. They go away. There's money to replace the wages that were lost. They go away. There may be some pain and suffering money that be there for the client. And everybody thinks it's a complete success, but the client goes back out and tries to return to a somewhat normal lifestyle but has to do that with, with no credit whatsoever, the inability to use credit for their benefit. Um, and, and so what we do is, is there's a couple of things, is to analyze the current credit report based on or, or versus the credit history that they had prior to this event occurring um, to come up with figures as to what this truly costs them to also analyze the additional harm that's come to them in a change of lifestyle and then be able to successfully explain that to a jury. In other words, take a complex subject and be able to explain it in a number of manners in a way, in a number of minutes, in a way that a jury would understand it. Sounds like a lot of work. Um, how, do you, how do you get started? When, what's a, can you give us an example of um, you know, a picture of an attorney finding out that they have a credit damage issue, like you were saying, um, and getting started. How's the process? For begin? what, for whatever reason, could occur that one is no longer making the income that they made beforehand. Wrongful termination, employment cases. They were injured and unable to work, or any of the other events that would occur that would um, cause one to not be able to pay, make their monthly payments on a timely manner is when we start looking at this. Even a person that has their credit and has maintained all their bills, as a trial um, continues on, some of these go on for an extended period of time, it's something that an attorney ought to be looking at. How is this affecting your financial situation? Are you able to maintain all the bills that you have? Are you keeping your credit perfect? And if they say, well, of course not. There's no money coming in. I've destroyed my credit then even prior to that, we should have been brought in. Mm -hmm. um, where, now, where can you, where, where are your services available? I know you're in California. We're here in Illinois. Um, I well, believe there is, that, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was just wondering about, um, you know, where certain courts uh, have, have already seen credit damage experts and uh, folks have been 
um, approved as credit damage experts in some jurisdictions. And I just I know that it must just be a matter of time before there's a presence in all jurisdictions. Um, but generally, where's the uh, where can where can someone find a credit damage expert? Is this can you do nationwide cases? They're from California. Well, we. My answer to that would be we can. doesn't mean that there wouldn't be a potential issue in one particular place. Um, any of the testifying I've done, they've gone through my employment background and the number of years I've done this, and there has never been an objection to me being um, considered an expert on these issues. Um, the gentleman that started this you know, company in 1995, March of 1995, George Finder, has an extensive list of um, cases where he's testified in a number of states, probably mainly the Western United States. But um, on you know, as time this will expand some. There are not a lot of people um, providing this expertise. There are attorneys that have attempted to use um, CPAs and accountants, and there are some that will use economists that were used for one reason or another, and then ask them to touch on that. Um, it is truly the expertise of dealing with credit reports for 25-plus years and using them for what they were actually designed for, and that is to allow a client to get credit, to be able to fulfill a goal they have by using financing. When one can't um, acquire the credit they want, then I know why, and if somebody else caused that problem to them, then we help them to um, be compensated for that fact. So... Do I understand correctly that you can determine a dollar amount or help determine uh, the amount of some other way to quantify uh, the damage to someone's credit reputation? Exactly. What, what, we are, what our process is, is not to know every detail of the case. I am analyzing a credit report. And as boring as that sounds to most people, they're incredibly exciting to me and tell an incredible amount of information about a person over basically their last 10 years of their life. And so we start out with pulling a full residential credit report with a um, report from all three bureaus. Um, we look at that and analyze it and determine whether or not damage actually occurred. So in the standard case that we would look at, a person had outstanding credit and used it and then all of a sudden an event occurred, and there is damage to the credit, derogatory credit, late pays or foreclosures or collection accounts, judgments, and we can come back to a period of time of when that event occurred. Then we look at um, the simplest form um, is the out-of-pocket, increased out-of-pocket expenses. So we have a criteria that we're looking at and analyzing these. Um, if you had a number of credit cards with balances on them, which people shouldn't have, but most people do, if you had credit cards with balances and you had interest rate in the anything from 25 to 9% and you had derogatory credit, we have something currently in effect called the Universal Default Clause, and it says you could have made every payment perfect on your account, but if you're late on your mortgage, they're entitled to raise the interest rate on your credit cards. So people will come to us and they'll show us their bills. They had 7.99% interest rate on a credit card. Now it's gone to 38%. So we actually can calculate. Prior to the damage, here's what they paid. Now we're looking at them paying an interest rate at, um, at 30 whatever. It doesn't matter. Same thing we look at an auto loan. They have a car. I recently did one. They had a nice BMW, but it was old enough, and they were having mechanical problems. They needed to be able to be looking for a new car. 
The previous financing on the BMW was a 3.99. With the credit score they ended up with, they were talking to dealers at a 21% interest rate. So the first step is we calculate actual additional cost out of your pocket since the damage occurred. The next step we look at, which starts um, getting some in theory and some that we can truly prove out as a number, is the loss of capacity. One of the first things that occurs to a person when there's been damage to their credit history, and we're talking serious damage to their credit history, is the credit card companies will reduce the outstanding allowable credit to just over the amount of the outstanding balance on the card. So if I made that confusing, I didn't mean to. If you have a $10,000 line of credit on a credit card, you have $2,000 of debt on it. Once this derogatory credit hits your credit report, they will drop that down to $2,200 just above that. So you've lost that asset, that line of credit that you had available to you to use for whatever you wanted has now completely gone. So we should really think about lines of credit as an asset because it's, you know, it is. It really is. It is. It's a tremendous asset that I have clients. I work on every single day that use those lines of credit to further their businesses, benefit their personal life, take care of their family, do one thing or another, and it's an asset they've earned, worked hard for, and had until they were damaged. I've heard stories of people who have paid lump sum credit card payments thinking that they were doing something good and paying down the credit card. Um, in the small business example, uh, pay, substantially reducing the balance, uh, but then the credit card company turned around and reduced the credit, you know, reduced the available credit. So um, the, the individual is actually penalized for, for paying down the credit card too much. Right, and that is, you know, th these have been very hard times for um, financial institutions, the majority of it caused by the financial ins institutions. But they are doing some things that are very difficult, and it's sometimes hard for us to predict. What we do know, though, is that part of your credit score, this is an amazing um, calculation that a computer comes up with, looks at each individual individually, that didn't make sense, but I know what I meant, um, looks at them and says, hey, Here's the amount of accounts open. Here's how they manage that. They keep low balances on them or no balances at all. Here's the amount of activity they're using on these accounts. And I have lots of data to judge them on, and I give them the score based on their responsible, responsible use of that credit. When you lower the outstanding, the, when, when the amount that you can borrow or the amount you can place on a card is reduced, then that is a negative for you. You had um, certain lines of credit, they've been reduced. The computers will look at that and lower your score based on the fact that you have less allowable credit. Now, everything I say like that always has extremes. You can go to where somebody has so many lines of credit that that's actually looked at it as an excessive risk. But for the majority of us, it's very damaging to have that out allowable credit reduced. Hmm. Now... You mentioned the computers do this. How much is going? How much happens? Um, you know, I'm thinking, I'm picturing a, a Las Vegas slot machine. Um, I recall a program I was watching where the software designers could make the software do whatever they wanted, essentially. And when I when I think of the credit uh, score, the big three companies, 
and a computer, I'm picturing almost a similar event. How much if how much of this is really determined by machine, and how much how much human oversight really goes on? Um, it is hell, and in, in some ways, um, it has been explained to me, and people could um, dispute this, but it has the explanations I've received um, have worked well for me. And that is that this is absolutely the very beginning stages of artificial intelligence in that it truly looks at Nick, you, or looks at Jim, myself, completely different from everybody else and takes all the factors it can glean over the last 10 years to come up with predicting or prioritizing um, you know, your approvability and your predictability of defaulting on a loan. And so it, you know, there it is called... Um, proprietary software in that nobody gives us a chart and says, hey, one 30-day late will change this score. I have right. files on my desk that a 30-day late has hammered their score, and I have a 30-day late that didn't even touch their score, and it's all about all those factors that they've built in there. Um, we constantly, we have clients for years that we manage their credit for them, and I'm talking about in the real estate and the loan business, that we keep them perfect and pristine so the second they want to exercise their option of acquiring something, their credit is perfect there. One of the things in trials that we'll have to talk about was if this person's score was so high and now they've defaulted on everything, wasn't the credit analysis done by the computer's faulty? And the answer is no. It absolutely was correct, 100%, and here's all the proof that we have of that. Here's extensive use of real estate loans. Here's extensive use of auto loans and car loans and business loans, and all that went perfect till they were damaged. And now they're in a spiral down of financial ruin, and the computer analyzed that and predicted it the second, and that's, you know, some people say, was it the low score that caused it or the event that caused it? And the fact of the matter is both of them coincide. They they, they exist off each other. And so I believe that it is extremely accurate in its prediction of what's going to happen. I have a question about um, the artificial intelligence component of these systems. Um, it knows, or they know, the computers and the system understands someone's transactions that are attached to their credit. But what about things that aren't attached to the credit? How do they not know that someone has, you know, large cash reserves or, um, you know, other equitable interests in different financial vehicles or this and that where, you know, there's clearly an ability to pay if one wanted to, but, you know, it, it just that, 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 that component seems missing. Yeah, component's missing, and there's even one more component that's totally amazing to me. I've under, underwritten real estate files, commercial and residential real estate files, for years and years and years. Outside of the credit history, I'm also really focused on the income one has. You've got to right. have an income to be able to pay a bill. Credit report never has any idea if you make any money or not. What it does know, though, is your habits of purchasing, how much activities are on the cards, do you ever have balances rising, which indicate there may be an issue going on? You may have all the money in the world in the banks, but if you're not taking your care of your credit, then it doesn't matter. It's going to indicate to us that there's a potential problem with extending additional credit to you. So that's why there's all kinds of circumstances that are occurring out there. What it's reflecting on is it's divided into two areas. 
How are you handling installment accounts? Installment accounts are your home, your auto loans, student loans, things of that nature. Are you taking care of those? Because those are kind of pre-set up for you. It's a monthly payment. Um, you know how long you got to do it. There's no unpredictability or things of that nature. It doesn't take a lot to take care of those, as long as you have money. I understand that. The <laughs> second side of it that it is real critical of, but how about lines of credit? And I'm calling a credit card a line of credit. If I got a $20,000 available credit on my credit card, that's a line of credit. So I'm using that term for any of those issues. How do you handle that? Um, are you responsible with it? Have you had a 10-year pattern history of never having balances over an amount and all of a sudden the balances greatly increase? Then part of its indication is to say there may be a problem here. Take a look. And so it's accurate in what it's analyzing. Are there changes? Are they headed in the wrong direction on your credit history? Or is everything going along perfect? You know, if I'm just imagining with it, you know, being a small business owner myself, I think about lines of credit and what if there's let's or let's you you know law firms are a good example let's say well in in personal injury cases i i know several personal injury attorneys they're not doing this as much anymore but in the past they've mortgaged their homes leveraged everything for a big case and then they'll get a huge payout and they'll pay those loans off in full they'll pay you know you're living on borrowed time and credit um you know oftentimes in in, in you know in litigation especially if you're a smaller office um so i've seen people do that so it just would seem really uh, unfair to have that person engage in that sort of activity and then have a credit ding. Um, it just seems, you know, so I guess my qu- question would be, is there any way to communicate, um, you know, particular particularities about a person's credit history to the credit bureau so that maybe that doesn't happen again? Like, in other words, could they flag that person's um, accounts, per se, and you know, suggest that you know this person may take large lines of credit, but they always pay them back right away. What it doesn't well, figure that I, out? Yeah, I again, being a proprietary software program, I can't tell you 100 percent right, what it know. does. What we react to is looking at hundreds and hundreds of credit reports, both good ones and disastrous ones. What I can tell you is that it is my belief that again, the 10-year history you establish a pattern. Um, I have had clients that are in the you know movie industry that will go and basically attempt come close to maxing out things till there is a payday and they take care of those. It's right. a combination of two things: is that I know during that period of time we need to probably not be doing or looking for the absolute most favorable financial situation there. But we know when those are coming and we know when things will be different. But I do believe it analyzes the 10-year pattern and sees that and would not be as heavy on that as someone that had a 10-year pattern where that had never occurred. There are flaws. And as I have said to you beforehand, they're actually receptive to us coming to the credit bureaus and saying, I'm seeing a situation that doesn't accurately reflect things. I'd like to bring that to your attention. And then their analysis is maybe it dropped a few points off it, but it is, is it material to their, um, to, you know, their ability to utilize credit? Mm-hmm. Now, when talking to the credit reporting companies, what type of, I suppose, or you know, is there any more leverage that you as a professional have uh, in working with them, or can people do this on their own? Well, uh, you know, I'm not in, uh, understanding 100%. Can they 
analyze the damage that was done to their credit and come up with a or, formulation of those? And, and I would say typically not because um, there is even more involved. I mean, there's additional steps, and I covered just two of those. Um, we certainly, when we have been brought into a case and we've looked at damage done to one's credit, then we will meet with, I mean, there's actually a requirement when you run a credit report on someone that you cancel them on their report. Hey, you've got too high a balances on your credit cards, that's harming you, this and this. So in a credit damage analysis, and one of the things we're saying to these people is, look, this is really a tough break, and this is devastating to you financially, and I understand that. But credit reports do not repair on their own, and even when your attorney is successful and prevails in the case, they don't wipe out the bad credit. So it really does take um, some effort on your part, which is part of the compensation we're looking for is the amount of time, energy, and effort you're going to have to put in rehabilitating your credit history. And, um, and so, yes, we send them with a roadmap and a game plan for them to get back on their feet as fast as they possibly can. Hmm. Okay. Now, but moving on to some of the uh, issue spotting um, events, how I'm just trying to imagine the hypothetical, you know, small law office or, or large law firm, you know, regardless, uh, who has a client comes in and says, "I this has happened, that has happened." Um, it seems like there are many, many events that could, you know, happen in an individual's lifetime um, that would cause them to, you know, be count, you know, contacting an attorney first of all, and then secondly potentially having credit damage issues. So um, what, the, what are some good pointers uh, for, uh, you know, attorneys in several practice areas to what things should they look for? You know, how, how do we issue spot these things? Well, I met with attorneys yesterday for a law firm. We were going over aspects of a particular case, and they said to me, this is a, um, a law firm handling divorces, and they said, you know, for the very first time, I mean, we don't know any other law firm in San Diego doing this right now, and I'm it doesn't mean that's you know absolutely correct, but he said, I'm just not aware of any other ones. We now are pulling credit reports on our clients when they come in with the credit with the client's permission so if if one didn't want to go as far as to actually have a credit report on their client, they would ask that question: Are you able right now to maintain the bills you have? What kind of outstanding debt do you have? Do you own your home? Do you have a mortgage, and are you at risk? Have you defaulted on your mortgage loan? Have you done any of that? And mm -hmm. and so, you know, depending on the size of the case and, and the location, at least guidance and analysis and things of that nature can come from contacting our company. But we would turn around and look at that and say, is this an overlooked damage? Because we believe that, the, you know, it's the most overlooked damage that's occurring in a case, and why not include that in there? Um, our testimony, you know, somebody asked us in a, and I, the meeting we had, we met with three groups of attorneys yesterday. Somebody asked us in one of the attorney groups, what's the percentage of times the courts accept your testimony in these? And we both looked and went, so far, 100%. I mean, I, we, we have not had um, anybody come back and say those aren't real numbers because they're real numbers. Um, right. There is a portion of our um, testimony or analysis of it, which is the um, – you know, the, the, the 
when we say the loss of capacity to borrow, again, I, I mentioned that losing available credit lines to you, but there's a loss of expectancy of use of credit. If somebody has been able to travel when they want to travel and book an airline flight and then pay that over a period of time, um, is that worth something that that's been removed from them? If they're eliminated from, you know, in wrongful termination cases, these people are out looking for jobs after this, you know, either before or after this is settled. Um, are they denied employment because of the um, um, their credit histories? More and more employ employees, employers, be nice, um, are looking at credit reports, and and there's controversy in that. Some of us have a real problem with that. What did that have to do with the job? But the fact of the matter is, many um, job applications you're authorizing them to pull a credit report on on you if you want. Um, you know, there's just on and on and on and on. So. Part of um, George's, George Finder is great at analyzing and coming up with numbers in each and every one of those. In my last case that I testified on, I actually spent more time in capturing the jury as saying, can you imagine living without any credit today? We're trying to give them con complex concepts in a minute or two. And then we went on and talked about just everything they've used credit for in the last six months or so. Can you imagine if you couldn't have done that? So we get the jury to look at it saying, maybe you can come up with an exact number of the loss of expectancy, but man, that's unfair that that person can no longer do that again. Oh, what, can, what, what do we do? I mean, can you, do you have a, an example um, in your head of a list of things that um, our credit scores impact our daily lives besides buying a house? Well, you know, you can have a daily life and not um, and, and not care utilizing that. You already have your credit established. You have the particular cars you want. Your cars are paid off. Everything's going fine. I think the the most dramatic and the reason why I actually have what we call live files in in my drawers. I, uh, you know, the the computers made these things so much easier. I have a portfolio of clients that every year tax returns are done. They're emailed to me and the client. I, I keep their files ready to go. In the last six months, we've had two people who have never expressed an interest of being a business owner that turned around and called and said, I found a business I want to buy. It's been a hidden, you know, inside me, something I've always wanted to do and make this happen. And, and, and we want them to be able to have that opportunity because they spent a lifetime thinking about it and finally they want to exercise that. Um, we, we know people that... Um, didn't think they were going to buy a home, drove out in the country one day and found just an incredible property and called us up and said, hey, it's real competitive. They've got multiple offers on that. Uh, get me an offer in immediately and get my loan done. So yeah. it's the peace of mind of knowing that it's accessible at any time you choose to use it, need to use it, want to use it, that it's there and available. And so um, one other kind of, you know, a little off the subject, but I think this is really important. We, we got a call the other day from someone saying they'd spent six months looking for a house. And, and they, you know, give, gave up their weekends. This is a woman that's a Ph.D. in the biomedical um, field, and um, so obviously a very bright person and her husband. And they'd given up so much time to look for a home, and they finally found a home and put an offer in. And it was accepted, and then their loan was turned down. Um, people looked at them, worked with them for six months. Nobody ever really analyzed that, looked at it, and said, hey, you got something we have to correct here. I'll correct it because it's a mistake, but they've lost out on that house, and they'll start this whole process over again in about three months. Hmm. 
Now, when we talk about correcting these mistakes, who is the best person or how, how should the mistakes be found? And my, what I'm thinking of when asking this question, um, let's take, for example, someone's credit card bills. Um, I, I know that in the news there has been recent talk of uh, regulations or changes on the lending practices where banks are no, you know, have to have standard, you know, due dates and cutoffs and such. Um, you know, let, let's say someone, you know, previously had their credit card bill was due on the first day of the month at, at three o'clock in the afternoon, and then it had accelerated to one o'clock in the afternoon. They missed the notice. They didn't realize it, and now they lost their good APR and they're paying high interest. Um, you know, so that seems like that would be an event, credit damage event. Um, so I'm just, go, you know, thinking of um, how many times lending institutions have large amounts of documents, um, you know, and all the fine print that talks about the terms and conditions of service. Um, is that something that the attorneys go through those documents? Is that something that you would go through? Um, how does someone know? I mean, you may have a credit damage event and not even know it. Well, you know it because the difference a credit damage event is that you went to open a credit card and they said absolutely not in a million okay. years with a credit history that bad. Um, nobody's going to loan you a dollar. So we know that they know that. we um, The event occurs and they went to refinance. They had a great loan at 6.5% when they got it four years ago, but everybody's getting 5% 30-year fixed today and they apply for a refi and they're told, um, you you can't do this. Have you seen your credit report? Do you have a clue what it looks like? But and I'm so, saying, pardon may, me. I'm sorry, sorry to interject. But I, I, you know, the reason for my question is, for example, what if the credit card companies are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, and uh, we, you yeah. know, and then, and then someone's got the APR jumps, and now you've got a credit, you know, now it's affecting their credit score, which is what's happening in the background. It seems to me, which is causing the denial. Yeah, if, if if someone is unaware, so so when you are damaged and you no longer made your payment, you were fully aware. But right. you're asking me in a situation where you're going along fine and you had no clue. Um, the PhD I was just talking about, she has a um, phone bill that is uh, very small, and it's hammered her score to the point to where it would cost her a ton more um, to do the loan on the home, and in fact, the down she'd have to come in with a lo larger down payment. How can a small phone bill affect a credit card so uh, a credit score so dramatically? And the answer is that someone she was talking to said, "Close all the accounts you have. Banks hate to see you have a bunch of credit cards open." So she closed all her accounts down to one card only, uh -huh. and. So the computer analyzes and looks at this and says she has two revolving accounts. She had a mortgage that was current. She has two revolving accounts, one's in collection, and hammered her score as it should. It's not even hers, but she should have known about that months before looking for a home. So the only answer that I can give you is you have to have a relationship with someone that can run credit reports and review yours every two years to make sure that it's accurate and any um, recommendations one would have of anticipating that you being able to use your report is to say things like you are carrying too high a balances on these cards. You need to eliminate the balances on them. You reduced all your accounts down to one, and that's not good. We want three to five accounts. 
don't want to see any balances. You can have a fantastic credit score with active use of revolving credit and never have a balance on there. Balances are bad, um, but they're wonderful if you need to spread an expense over a number of months. So one needs to, the only way you can truly know that, um, is to manage the credit history and make sure that it's accurate and then talk to someone that knows enough about it to be able to give you guidance on here's are the things that are missing on your report that would just on its own improve if you made these changes. Mm-hmm. Wow. So oh. in ordering the credit reports, what's the way that uh, if, if – if some if a client comes into an attorney's office and let's say they come in for a loan modification um, or an attempt thereof, and the attorney wants to get a copy of the credit report, uh, does that attorney need can they uh, sign up with an account for their firm that gives them access to those reports? Uh, how do they have to do it the conventional way that any consumer would do? Do they go to one of the commercial websites advertising free credit reports? What's the best way for them to go about getting those reports? There are a number of companies out there that are the equivalent of what we call them, you know, um, an Internet provider, one of the services we go to that gives us access to the Internet. There are credit report data, um, you know, companies that give you access to those, that data and they report. And there's uh, hundreds of them out there, absolutely hundreds of them. Um, I don't know the details of exactly the type of contract that a – um, credit reporting company would um, require from a you know a, an attorney. They they inspect our offices, make sure that these are you know we have tremendous amount of private information on an individual, so they make sure that the security is absolutely perfect on it, that any disposal of them. And so a law firm would just have to make a contract with a credit data provider, which is you know one of the credit card companies, and they there are literally hundreds of those. Mm-hmm. Or they have a yeah. working relationship with someone like myself and says, you need to look into this and see. Um, they're telling us that they've applied for a number of credit items um, and that uh, the case we're working on may be causing them a big problem. We'd like to include credit damage management as one of the aspects of this case. There, There is something that I can't answer, but we'll get the answers for you. I can tell you that the only thing that we've found acceptable in the courts is a full-blown tri-merge residential credit report. Um, there is a accuracy to that. There is the ability for people to check and make sure that that hasn't been altered in any way whatsoever. It's kind of recognized as the official credit re- history on a person. Um, it is a strict um, reading of the scores. Uh, different industries can um, elect to have scores looked at differently. An auto dealer that's selling cars or a bank financing the sale of cars may say, I'm not so concerned with it. They're putting a decent down and I can repossess it whenever I need. Scores will often be higher for different industries. The strictest and hardest credit criteria is with the residential credit report. Um, I don't know anything because I use residential credit reports. I don't know anything about the consumer reports that you can get online. I know that they're not accepted typically in court cases as being an official um, representation of your credit history. Okay, that's that's important to know. Um, so again, the reports that you have access to are the uh, I believe you referred to it as a tri-merge. Um, 
residential credit report. Okay. So, and that's something that um, an attorney who has a potential credit damage issue uh, can contact you and ask for you to pull that for their client, I suppose, if their client signs. Um, now, procedurally, I suppose, could you talk a little bit more about the working relationship between, um, you know, among the law firms and yourself and Mr. Uh, George Finder? Yeah, what we have is um, there is a gentleman we, we work with named Marvin. His professional name is Marvin. That's what he goes by. And he's kind of our uptake guy. He's the one that fields the phone call, um, talks about, um, be it a person saying, um, often we're starting to get phone calls and attorneys need to listen to this. Hey, I read an article about credit damage and I have an attorney that's not even mentioning it. When I brought it up to him, uh, he didn't appear to know anything about it. So that's not good in any industry when the layman is coming in how, saying how come my attorney's not looking at that. But the vast majority of times, an attorney will call, Marvin will take that call, and um, there'll be some discussion about the case. Um, for one reason or another, there may be details of that that they don't want me to look at. They want my analysis of the credit history without knowing some details that could change my opinion of what I'm reading there. So I get a cleaner, truly analyzing the credit history that's there. I may come back and say I need some explanation of what happened here, um, but that's the first step. People call Marvin. We have an 800 number there. Would that be an appropriate time to give yeah, that? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, our, our, our 888 number. So we have a 1-888-732-7637. Marvin's the one that calls that. He has um, handled many conversations about is this appropriate or are these the people to use for this? How can we assist can we look at this and see if this makes sense in here? And that's how that really gets started. Now, how often do you get phone calls from attorneys who suggest that they have a client who wants to file a suit or bring a case purely on the basis of credit damage and maybe pursuant to the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act? Um, how often is that what's happening, or are are all the cases primarily uh, credit damage issues within other uh, ongoing uh, pieces of litigation? No, we we do have that. We in both a particular um, credit grantor, so a be it a bank or a department store or an auto dealer or anything of that nature, um, where there is an item reported that does, is not proper that it be on the credit report. Um, person calls the, just saw one recently in an auto dealer, calls him up and says, hey, um, you've reported this and it, you know, it's not true. It can't be there and I have documentation to help prove that. Um, mm -hmm. Then I'm not bothered by that effort that one went through and the dealer changes that and the whole thing follows, you know, gets handled. That, there's not a problem there. It's when people refuse to and you end up with a repossession of an automobile and you no longer can get any credit. And then it's the, um, the you know, things that happen in addition to that. You're showing an auto repossession on your credit report and your credit card um, balances are, are reduced and the interest rates are rising and things of that nature are occurring. There are some rules going in effect that are going to make that more difficult, but it doesn't mean if they can't raise the interest rate anymore, they just get rid of the account. The assumption being is your value, this is a give and take, your value to the credit cards are you using the card. 
They don't care about balances. They make tons of money off you if you just use the card and continue to use the card. When your credit's been damaged, you can't use the card anymore. You don't really have a value to them. You become a liability and, and not an asset to them. So we do see those. Um, we see people attempting at first to get something handled. There's a refusal to do that. And so then it takes going in after them. We've seen it both with the credit bureaus. I, I talk highly of the credit bureaus. I use their reports daily. But we have times where they flat simply refuse to make a correction. First thing we look at is are you really asking for the correction to be done properly? And if they are and there's just some reason it's not happening, then it's time to sue them. And one of the biggest suits involved in that is the loss of the piece of real estate because they wouldn't clean it up fast enough. Uh-huh. Well, that's... I, I can can imagine, uh, you know, just in a short sale situation, um, you know, or you know, another hot real estate, uh, you know, uh, situation where someone finds a property and they get it for a good deal. Especially right now, um, with the economy being what it is, I'm sh- I'm sure that there are deals that become available or foreclosures that people are buying. Um, it would seem that the turnaround would have to be pretty quick from the from the you know credit card companies, I mean, is that an unreasonable burden to put on them? Is that you know? It's much- not when it it's not when it's handled properly, and we write the letters, which sounds funny, um, and put the verbiage in there explaining to them that the only thing stopping a real estate transaction from occurring is the correction of this false item on the report. We mm. get them rechanged, um, you know. I don't want to say immediately because somebody's going to come back and challenge that, but in a timely manner. And then as I'm working, if somebody's really looking at a real estate transaction for this, then I'm continuing to produce documentation to the lender that this will be handled by the time we get to the end of it. There isn't any, my explanation of what's occurring isn't going to satisfy the lender. It certainly has them, and I've had enough experience with them, that they're accepting the fact that if I believe I'm going to have that removed, it's going to be removed. So they'll go forward with the fact that I say it's going to be removed, but it does then, in in fact, have to be removed. Hmm. Now, going back to um, the attorney who may be hiring uh, for a certain event, let's say it's the real estate attorney, uh, is going to close on the house, Um, they're working on everything, and then you get a notification from the lender that uh, sale's not going to go ahead because we have a credit problem, so maybe now that real estate attorney, um, you know, has, you know, just learned of the credit, you know, credit damage expert analysis as being an option, Um, and they, they contact, they contact someone, they contact you, they contact Marvin, and when they do that, um, I suppose is there a consultation where uh, you take a look, uh, or did it? You know, when did they become a client? Um, when did the law firm need to do something? How does that happen? Yeah, that's structured and set up by Marvin, and I'm sure in the um, next meetings you have, George yeah. Finder can go through every detail of that. Um, there is a discovery period for us also that's um, right. looking at. You know, can it have things, you know, actually happened? Um, we kind of um, interesting is we had one recently where someone couldn't borrow anything. They'd had a foreclosure, and yet they had a 745 FICO score. And people got really hung up on how do you sue for credit damage when his credit score is so high. Um, I wrote the opinion on exactly why his score was high 
and it didn't change the fact that he couldn't borrow anything anyway and that he truly had been damaged on there. So, you know, th those are the things we're looking at originally. That wasn't going to go forward. They thought the 745, whatever the score was, you know, high, four, high sevens, they assumed that was going to eliminate him from being able to pursue this lawsuit, and in fact it, it wasn't. So, um, you know, there it's complicated to look at, and at times we truly look at a report and say, I can't show any damage. He's still able to borrow anything he wants, and that's a shame that that derogatory is there, but I'm not sure you're going to be able to use that. So, so again, there is that period of time of analyzing this, seeing that there truly is a benefit to bringing us into the case. Got it, got it. Um, and then when you are in the case, uh, what types of activities are going on? Uh, what can the attorney expect the credit damage experts to do in their analysis? Well, again, what types of activities? We're, we're going to analyze it and produce a report that says here's the damage and here is, I use quantified somewhere in this or something I wrote you and and quantified may be a little more accuracy to what we do, but we're saying here's a range of the damages that we think are truly justifiable or true cost to this person. Um, we will come up with um, a dollar figure. Let's say the true cost to this person is $88,000. You know, the average was um, there's a testimony from an attorney that he brought George into a case and he hoped for a 30000 increase in and the amount that would be awarded based on George's testimony, and they attributed $188,000 to um, the addition in that. So we come up with a number that says really and truly um, is justified here. But then we're going to give the explanation to the jury, as I said beforehand, so I'm repeating myself, but look at what they're having to go through. Look what was taken from them. If they don't want to use credit on their own and had no interest, then that's wonderful. Nobody's ever going to say anything. But if they wanted to use credit and somebody else made it, caused an, an action that would prevent them from using it, then they're entitled to a compensation on that. So we would look at the um, minimum amount and expect much higher. Now, how... Oh... Um, I had a thought. I'm sorry, my thought is my thought escaped me. Um, there are so many potential discussions that we could have um, on credit damages, which is why, of course, we have. Um, you know, this is our first of our seven-part series, and moving forward, I think it will be helpful to address specific practice areas, um, family law for one, um, as well as personal injury, business. I mean, there are all so many different legal practice areas that involve uh, you know transactions on um, clients behalf that may often bring up really credit damage issues so um, it'll be very interesting to go further in depth i have one last question uh, i got my train of thought back um, how much good dealing and good faith does the person who's damaged in a credit uh, you know an event um, how much good faith is required on their part and my example would be a person who uh, maybe is wrongfully hurt by a credit decision by one of the credit reporting companies. So we already have an event, uh, and the person's denied credit. And from that point forward, that you know, the person says, "Well, you know, I'm not going to continue paying on some of these other things because my credit is so, you know, trashed anyways. There's really no point." Um, I've heard people make comments like that. That you know, like my, you know, my credit's in the toilet. Why would I bother? You know, I'm much better, better off 
taking extra income and you know doing this or doing that. Um, what happens in that event? Um, there are many cases where we see that someone has failed to make credit card payments after the effect of something um, like they happened to have a larger interest rate and they were going to refinance the property and they were well into that process and then the credit was discovered and they were denied that. Um, they have truly had the loss of the um, you know, the lower payment that they would have achieved. And in fact, if their plan was, it was a cash out and the property supported the type of loan they wanted and they now could not pay these credit cards off, there's been a reduction in their income that they're receiving. The false item or the failure to report something accurately caused the refi issue. Then all the other things were a chain reaction to that and they need to be compensated for that fact happening. Um, sometimes if we're challenged and most of the people hear us, te our testimonies and don't have a lot to say back to us, but one of the comments will be, um, you've said our payments at six and a half and interest rates are five today. How do you know in two years from now they're not four? And the answer is historically they haven't been in years and years. These are the lowest interest rates in the 25 years I've been involved in that. And the fact of the matter is they can't refi today. And we have no indication or no knowledge that they'll be able to do it later down the road at anything better. And, and that's not challenged. Hmm. It, you know, I think that a lot of uh, a lot of people might be a little shaky in their boots, thinking about the concept of credit damage analysis and the quantifiable, uh, you know, damage there. You know, similar to, um, you know, let's say in personal injury, someone loses a, a thumb, um, you know, or a body part. You know, there's good case law that suggests, you know, an actuarial work that, you know, puts a figure on what those things are worth. Um, and having that now with credit scores, just uh, it just seems that people would be, you know, again, uh, shaking a little bit um, in, uh, you know, in the outcome of some of those reports. So, um, and, uh, you know, also, again, when I think about the use of this by attorneys in, in negotiating for their clients, I just imagine the situation where, um, and I come out of family law originally, so that's well, I'm imagining in the in a family law case where one spouse has been accused of dissipating marital assets, uh, and they go into judges' chambers for a pretrial conference, and the attorney sets down on the table a report uh, from you and George that says, um, you know, cheating husband, spending money on girlfriend, and not paying the credit cards, and all this to put the put the screws to the wife, so to speak. Uh, now, wife has uh, a quantifiable credit damage, and he's going to have to pay up. So um, I, I can just see the amount of activity that we're going to see um, as you both move forward, and um, together we try to share uh, more of the credit damage analysis information with um, you know, legal practitioners throughout the country. So I think there's going to be um, all sorts of interesting things to come. Yes, I, I agree completely. And the other thing that sparks uh, uh, interest, which has here locally, is to um, have a case with a incredible um, judgment awarded to a client and, and for people to say at least a portion of it. I wouldn't claim the entire bit of it, but at least a portion of it was truly helping a jury realize um, 
you know, here's some additional things that have occurred that you may not have even thought about how this person's been. So we had a major case in San Diego, a very big success. And um, that has lots of attorneys in San Diego talking about, tell me about credit damage measurement. Right. Well, I I mean, when they're, if you're the plaintiff's attorney and you're getting, you know, a a percentage on the, on the overall award, um, and due to credit damage work and credit damage analysis, the jury is awarding uh, people what they're rightfully owed, uh, and those awards are increasing. Um, I mean, that's just phenomenal. So many times I can remember, um, you know, when I, I graduated from law school in 2002, and back during you know that time when I was a clerk, I remember working on a dissipation uh, case and a divorce matter, and after the case was over, the wife, you know, one of the parties, I don't know, stopped paying uh, bills that they were supposed to and said, well, you know, I'm just going to do this and that. So, I mean, all of a sudden, these people's credit were, uh, you know, tarnished and, and damaged, and it was just a really interesting, um, you know, problem because the attorney at the time told me that, you know, Nick, there is no way to, you know, calculate what that's worth. We just don't know how. And, and now, you know, now thanks to, to you and George, and um, you know, and thanks to Marvin too, uh, we're able to put dollar amounts on these damages. So I think that's just great. Yeah, we actually have um, cases where maliciously one side said, "If you're not going to be with me, at least I'm going to do as much damage to you as I can." Yep. And destroying your credit will be one of them. Seen it many times. All right. Well, <laughs> Jim, thanks for all your comments today. I look forward to having. Uh, you and George uh, both on our subsequent, um, uh, you know, episode looking at credit damages, and those are going to be the third, the next uh, six, six more third Thursdays of the month. So, third Thursday. So again, Jim, thanks for your time today. We really appreciated your input. All right, thank you, Nick. All right, and again, I'd like to thank our audience members for tuning in today or clicking to listen to links of our shows after the fact with the archives. Um, Again, we'll be looking uh, more into credit damages in our future uh, six episodes that are, again, going to be uh, the next three, third Thursdays of each month at 3 o'clock Central, 4 p.m. Pacific. Uh, No, sorry, uh, 4 o'clock Eastern, 1 o'clock Pacific. So, again, thank you to Jim, uh, Jim Ryder, and thank you to all of our listeners today. Again, ALRPRA's mission is to provide solutions, allowing you to spend more time practicing law and less time managing the business of it. Our mission's underlying values are transparency, flexibility, and humility. We are a full-service law practice management agency available nationwide when quality matters to your production and promotion. Mm -hmm. Thanks again to all our guests, and tune in next week. Thank you.